Excuse me. 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 Hello, everybody, and welcome to Morgan Dorks. This is a bi-weekly Daria podcast. I swear to God, we're a bi-weekly Daria podcast. Really? Really? (laughs) (laughs) Where we take an in-depth look at our favorite animated teenage misanthrope episode by episode. I'm Rob Press. And I'm Nissa Lee. And today we are looking at season three, episode eight. Lane Miserable, <laughs> in which the surprisingly massive immediate Lane family comes home to roost, forcing our favorite two Lanes to move in with the Morgendorfers. This episode aired on July 14th, 1999, and it was written by Anne Bernstein. Bernstein has kind of been all over the map, having given us not only one of the lowest episodes in our rankings, the invitation, but also the number one episode in our rankings, The Road Warrior. Uh, right at the top here, um, I just want to say thank you to everybody out there who has been super cool. Uh, I know we we missed an extra week or two uh, with this episode. A week, um, a two, a four. <laughs> yeah, the time passes so quickly and so slowly anymore. Who knows? Um but yeah, there were all sorts of, um, I got into a car accident, which was pretty minor, all things considered. Uh, and then Nissa got sick, but not that kind of sick. No, not, <laughs> not coronavirus sick, but, no. <laughs> um, but it's really awkward, um, right now to be coughing in public. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds so cool because then nobody goes anywhere near you. <laughs> you know, I went to the doctor's office and coughed at the front desk and the receptionist immediately handed me a, a face mask. And oh, I was great. I was the only one there with the face mask on and you could just <laughs> feel the tension in the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) It's been such a weird, and I mean, this is, discussion like this is absolutely dating this podcast in a very specific way, Um, but like, it it felt like at the beginning of last week, it was like, going into Monday of last week, it felt like a normal week, albeit, you know, slightly like, oh, hey, we're keeping an eye on that coronavirus thing. And then by like midday Monday, everything was batshit. Yeah. It's been a surreal ride ever since. Yes. Yeah. I have, um, I even have like anxiety about accessing food. (laughs) I'm like, I must, (laughs) I must feed my child. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's definitely trying times out there. Right. But we're very lucky to, to be able to work from home. And really, my heart goes out to everybody who can't. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's a shame. Yeah. If you can work from home, please do. Just please do the self-quarantining thing. Like, let's not make this thing any worse than it has to be. It's already going to be pretty bad. Um, and enjoy our podcast. <laughs> yes, so please enjoy our podcast. Uh, <laughs> do we want to get into our beat by beat? I guess we should. All righty. All righty. 
So we open at the Morgendorfer dinner table, where Helen's cutting up lasagna and talking about how wonderful it is for the whole family to be able to gather around, eat food, and discuss their day. Unfortunately, everybody is kind of in their own little world, and she immediately regrets being in the same room as these people. Over at the Lane residence, Trent and Jane are investigating a strange stain in their otherwise completely empty fridge <laughs> with, with <laughs> Heather Nova's London rain in the background, when in walks their mother, Amanda, playing it super cash as though we've actually seen her at any point in the past three years. Um, we barely have time to get over the surprise when the doorbell rings and another Lane appears. Wind, who is Jane and Trent's brother that we've never seen or heard of before, had to evacuate his houseboat because it seems he's well on the way to his third divorce. It's a weird scene that only gets weirder as Jane and Trent begin to wonder about how many lanes the house can actually hold, and then Trent remembers some messages he might have forgotten about. Their sister Penny is on the way back from Costa Rica with a parrot named Chiquito in tow because her craft stand got wiped out by a volcano. <laughs> And their father, Vincent, is done taking pictures of Celtic rock formations and is on his way back as well. They both arrive within minutes. Really great timing. Yeah, fantastic. This house went from nothing to full of lanes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, is Nissa getting ready to say anything? And then I heard, well... <laughs> Trying to drink my tea. Oh, man. Uh, So this is technically the first appearance for Amanda, uh, because we did actually see just her legs in the season two premiere Arts and Crass. Just her legs, not her hands or anything? I felt like she was was making pottery or something. Yeah, we might have seen her hands, actually. It's definitely the first appearance for Penny, Wind, and Vincent, and we're still not done being introduced to brand spanking new lanes just yet. Yeah. So when when we see Amanda, I couldn't help but think, wow, she and Trent have a very similar way of speaking. And, <laughs> and I thought, well, Jane is the most animated of them. And then in comes Wind. You <laughs> <laughs> just, you know is out there so <laughs> yeah this is a very specific kind of family mm-hmm. yeah it, you know I, I know that uh we're surprised to see amanda but trent and jane seem pretty much just as surprised as we are if not more surprised <laughs> right like, oh hey mom <laughs> you've emerged from the basement <laughs> yeah so it's it's very much on brand for jane and trent uh, but I'm still a little alarmed at how nonchalantly they're handling their entire like refrigerator situation. <laughs> so, so empty. And as I said, in this time of self-quarantining, that empty fridge gives me, you know, a bit of anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> there's also the like bright red stains inside of it that are. Yeah. Well, there's that. A little but foreboding. Like, yeah. I mean, that could be anything. Well, clearly it's syrupy from, you know, their guesses. <laughs> it's not like animal blood or something. <laughs> I, mm, all right, sure. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Back at the Morgendorfers, Jake's watching basketball and Helen is feeling down. She's somehow only just now worried that the children are growing distant. Uh, Talking to a profoundly inattentive Jake doesn't really help her whatsoever, and she storms out. 
Over at the lanes, Jane is having a rough go finding any time to herself. She brings it up with Amanda, who just sort of talks for a while about her other about her own rather lax parental style until Jane gets fed up and walks away. She turns up on Daria's doorstep, belongings and easel in tow. She's moving in for a bit. And that's the end of Act One. She's really moving in, like, you know, bringing all the art supplies. (laughs) She totally, she's totally just like, all right, yeah, hi, this is happening now. (laughs) Yep. The conversation between Jake and Helen uh, when Jake's trying to watch basketball and Helen is is kind of unloading, you know, her concerns onto him. It's really, <laughs> it's really something else. You have uh, Helen saying, Jake, sometimes I wonder if you even know the most rudimentary facts about our girls. How old is Quinn? And his response is 11-ish. That was a guesstimate. <laughs> and also he doesn't know his wife's middle name. It's really... <laughs> Yeah, he he is very much. I mean, we we've always talked about how Jake is like a caricature, right? You know, he, yes, he, and he's just so clearly mocking the idea of the like detached dad, you know, the clueless dad that that I I can't take offense at it. It's just you know. <laughs> It's like so overt, it circles the moon and comes back, or it shoots the moon and comes back to just actually being pretty entertaining. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, There's also lots of little fun bits and pieces here, like the fact that Trent lived in the backyard in a tent for six months. Uh, I mean, who hasn't done that? (laughs) Well, at least, you know. You can't see it, but I'm raising my hand. (laughs) I mean, maybe not six months, but I mean, hasn't every kid tried to like live in a tent in their backyard at some point? (laughs) I tried to make a tent in the living room. (laughs) Okay. Like out of blankets. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like that's a step, I suppose, but. (laughs) (laughs) Some of us have been self-quarantining longer than others. (laughs) Uh, Also, apparently you you picked up on the... (laughs) The living room TV has been broken for two years. Yeah, which is totally something that would happen in my home if I didn't have, you know, people to look out for me. (laughs) (laughs) I would just, I would just let the TV be broken. (laughs) Like, oh, what? I don't really need that. (laughs) Uh, It's just a really expensive, crappy mirror. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Staring into the void. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's also Summer who lived off nothing but Pez for a year, which that doesn't sound great, but also kind of sounds great. <laughs> and we also gloss over the fact that Penny's in the kitchen drinking silver nitrate, <laughs> and that's not okay. Well, okay, so we don't actually see her drinking the silver nitrate. So we see her pouring it and then getting distracted and leaving the table. So, so it's a, it's a close call. (laughs) Oh man, that's still, but I mean, in a lane household when there's absolutely nothing in the refrigerator. (laughs) True. I mean, I guess silver nitrate's looking kind of good, huh? Just don't leave your silver nitrate lying around, especially in a house full of people who are extremely likely to just drink something without checking it. Mm Mm-hmm. Good advice for all those people with a bunch of silver nitrate hanging around. Yeah, I'm sure. It, they're a lot more than we know. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So we open Act 2 with Jane out for a run. With Space Queen by speed blaring in her headphones, she bolts right by and is then forced to slow down for a speedwalking Helen, who wants to talk about Daria. Jane Lane's best friend is here in full effect, refusing to divulge too much, but happy to help out. Over at the Lane residence, Trent's writing a new song about how the walls are closing in and he can't find any space to call his own. Who knows where he's coming up with this stuff? When he's interrupted, <laughs> when he's interrupted by Wind and Vincent, who are talking about Wind's marital issues. They're about to start role-playing when Trent vacates to the kitchen, where Amanda's just getting off the phone with her grandchildren, Adrian and Courtney, who are coming to visit, meaning their mother, Summer, the oldest Lane sibling, is probably not far behind. But where is she? <laughs> Good question. I'm so, I'm so confused about this. <laughs> she's not so she, with her children. She just, she just doesn't have tabs on them at all. She's just chasing them around the country. <laughs> so, oh, boy. Summer has more than once jumped into the back of a cab and yelled, follow that car. <laughs> <laughs> So Adrian and Courtney are coming to visit. Summer's probably coming very quickly behind them. Uh, Trent reading the room, wondering where Jane is, and sick to death of Chiquito, appears to be ready to crack. The way that Chiquito scares him is fantastic. <laughs> like, like that bird scared me, and he, and he just like jumped out of his skin. I'm like, yeah, Trent, I feel you. <laughs> it's the most animated we've ever seen him, and it's wonderful. Totally. First of all, Helen totally would be a speedwalker. Oh, yes. I love the line, it's okay, speedwalkers have thick skins. Like, that <laughs> line is brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I feel like maybe our cultural context should have been about speedwalking. <laughs> Just speedwalking. <laughs> Just speedwalking. Because I really don't know about, you know the history of it but i feel no. like it was really popular ever you know picked up in popularity at this time man we really should have you know looked up our shit before we got started huh <laughs> <laughs> why start now <laughs> uh, so we've kind of we've kind of gone all over the place with regard to helen's parenting style throughout the course of this show uh, as it seems to vary wildly depending upon the writer um but here we see the mother and helen trying to overcome the workaholic in Helen. And it's kind of nice. Like it helps that I'll take a Helen and Jane conversation all day long, I guess. And there's probably an argument to be made that this is Helen taking a shortcut, trying to know her daughter better. Um, but it's still something. And I enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, we have the fact that Jane is speaking Helen's lawyer language here and it, it's yes. really, really entertaining. Immunity from prosecution. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. I, and, and you know, to give Helen some credit, at least she tries to talk to her, her daughter's best friend, you know, that she's, yeah. she's making an effort, right? Also, Amanda serves as a great foil to Helen in this episode. So we get to see the two different parenting styles and how, like, either way they seem doomed to fail. <laughs> <laughs> As we've seen repeatedly with Helen in the past. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and we'll we'll get into it a little bit toward the end uh toward the end of the beat by beat, but like I don't think any aspect of this is an indictment of Helen and her parenting ability, and I really don't think it's an indictment of Amanda's parenting abilities either. It's just a matter of like parenting is tough. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also, you know, people are difficult, you know, what you're, if you're a parent, you know, you may just have some, uh, someone as a daughter or son who is not very compatible with you. <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> you know, that happens. <laughs> and, and like, you know, that's just really difficult. <laughs> yeah. Turns out people complex. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Bodies and mind. <laughs> <laughs> Back at the Morgendorfer household, Jane's setting the table while Jake prepares dinner. This is actually quite nice, like Jake cooking dinner and Jane folding origami swans with the with the napkins. I don't know. It's it's adorable. Yeah. Uh, so Jake sits down with Jane to have the same sort of conversation that Helen had with Jane earlier in the day, but Jake's questions are a little. They say more about him than they do anything else. Uh, at dinner with Black's 808 playing in the background, Quinn, Jake, and Daria are all reading while Helen and Jane struggle to make do. Or rather, Helen tries to make do by talking to Jane, who immediately rips the milk carton out of Quinn's hands to avoid conversation. Uh, thankfully, at that very moment, the doorbell rings. It's Trent. He's stopping by to let Jane know he'll be living in the tank for a while. Quote, it's a van, or it was once. Uh, Helen finds this unacceptable and insists that Trent stay for the evening. Daria lets out a surprisingly loud meep. <laughs> it is through Jake's line of questioning of Jane that we finally get a damn age for Daria. She's oh, 17. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, also, she's five foot two, so she's tiny. Yeah, yeah, she is. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, Daria at the table is reading, I believe she's reading Nausea uh, by uh, Sartre, which I think she might have been reading at another point. She's This is not the first time she's read something by him uh, in this series, and I'm trying to remember if it was, in fact, Nausea last time, too. I don't remember. I do know that that book is on my bookshelf, and I have never read it. <laughs> It's, I mean, you know, it's existentialist fiction. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, so, you know, all the baggage that comes with, with that uh, label. But I don't know. I thought it was pretty good. A ringing endorsement. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. College age me thought it was pretty okay. It sounds like you were affected by the existential fiction. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and one very, very tiny detail here, but. The milk carton that Quinn is reading uh, has a missing kid on the side of it because that's what we did back then was we had missing yeah. kids on the sides of milk cartons. Not traumatizing at all. No, no, not at all. The missing kid on the milk carton that Quinn is reading is a student at Lawndale High. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. We saw him in the we saw him in the very first episode. Really? Yeah. He doesn't get a name, does he? I don't think so, no. I don't think he he might have a speaking part, maybe. But yeah, he's in the back. He's in the background wearing a uh, a shirt that says, "I think the shirt says head." Oh, yeah, it's weird. A little dark. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, so I moving on. on. Yeah, totally. <laughs> forget about that poor son of a bitch. <laughs> no. I guess you know it kind of fits into that whole you, you know the the whole parenting theme we've got going on, right? <laughs> and 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 you know, Trent's about to go live in his van. <laughs> <laughs> 
So it's just about bedtime, and Jane and Daria are playing a somewhat one-sided game of Scrabble, because Daria is way too distracted to think properly. Perhaps it's Sonic Youth's Dirty Boots playing in the background, but it's <laughs> probably their new housemate. Uh, Quinn rolls through to get Jane's opinion on makeup colors and rips Jane away from the game, leaving Daria alone right up until Trent comes by looking for his sister. She's nowhere to be found, so now we get Trent hanging out with Daria in Daria's room, which is not at all tense whatsoever. Uh, He just kind of makes himself at home on the bed while they chat about Mark Twain and then Huckleberry Hound uh, until Jane gets back. Shortly thereafter, the doorbell rings. It's Monique, who we met before in Pierce Me. Trent heads out the door, despite Helen's attempts to parent him even a little bit, and into the night with Monique, all while Daria watches, bummed from Quinn's window, as Everlong by Foo Fighters plays. Quinn and Jane both catch this and are suitably concerned. And we are through Act 2. Woo! Yeah, a lot going on. Things are happening! (laughs) Seriously. Uh, we'll get to, we'll get to more substantial stuff in a second, but I will note Jake's reaction to Monique is absolutely incredible. (laughs) (laughs) I really don't know my kids. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, Oh man. Oh, Jake. Yeah. It's very good. Uh, so here's that more substantial I was talking about. Um, (laughs) so I feel like this episode is another example of Trent's behavior uh, with slash regarding slash around Daria being like a little bit manipulative. Yeah. Like he knows she has a crush on him. He knows she's only in high school. He knows she's probably more than a little freaked out by the fact that she's not wearing pants, but he feels. Yeah. She's just wearing like a long, a long shirt in this. Yeah. And she's like tugging at it. Um, Totally. Clearly uncomfortable. Right. Uh, and he, but he feels okay just sort of like not only not even reading the room at that point but like walking into the room plopping himself down on her bed like it's not it's not predatory i would definitely fall short of calling it predatory but it doesn't feel good to me okay i wouldn't call it predatory either but so so here is my my thought trent is in suspended adolescence right and Daria True. is a little old for her age. There, There is an age difference between them, but, you know, because Trent is immature and Daria is a little old for her age and, like, she and Jane are friends, that there is, like, there's, like, this weird space that, like, mm-hmm. you know, people and their their friends' siblings occupy where like boundaries yeah. are unclear at this point in life. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like, and there's no, like you're, a you're pressing totally right. of boundaries. I feel like you definitely have a very good point with Trent being permanently adolescent, which will actually, I mean, we'll get to see, you know, in a little bit uh, how that might play out over a lifetime. Um, but yeah, she, she is much more mature than her age. He is much less mature than, his age and between that and the proximity that they always find each other in because she's best friends with his sister, it gets weird. <laughs> yeah, it does. And I'm not excusing his behavior at all. It makes me feel weird as well. It gives me the creeps. <laughs> and, yeah. and and it's only really in watching this again as an you know, an older woman with some perspective that, that I'm seeing Trent as 
this person, right? This like somewhat manipulative, or at least, you know, he's haphazard with Daria's emotions, right? Yeah. That's <laughs> um, a really great way to put it. He, he's not, he's not at all malicious. He's just having a little bit of fun, you know? And it's a little and, weird. Which is not, yeah, it's not necessarily cool. I think that right. what's particularly shitty about his behavior is that he chooses to flirt with her, like lays on her bed and makes jokes and all of that. He chooses to flirt with her right before he goes out on a date. And he is right. a guest in their home. Like, ah, it's it's not a very cool way to repay the Morgendorfer hospitality. And no. it's it's just icky. Like, <laughs> you know, cancel the date, dude. <laughs> right. Or just like, or maybe, don't, or maybe don't hang out in the 17-year-old's bedroom. Yeah, that too. <laughs> like, I don't know. We could go, we could go around and around and around about it. Like, I, I don't think, you know, it doesn't make me think super low of him or anything like that. Like he's still Trent. I'm still fine with him, but like, it's weird. It's just weird. And it doesn't need to be. Right. Right. It doesn't need to be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anywho, uh, act three opens with Quinn and Jane confronting Daria with Jane Lane, best friend pointing out that Daria's twice the woman Monique is and Quinn pointing out that just because there's a goalie doesn't mean he can't score to help, <laughs> sh- <laughs> to help shake Daria out of her funk and inspire some confidence. Quinn suggests he try a thought exercise, close your eyes and imagine exactly what you want. Daria's vision of a future with Trent is bleak. And it's not just Sonic Youth to the Diamond Sea either. Trent has gotten exactly as far as you might expect in life. And Daria's working double shifts at the gene splicing lab to help keep food on the table and to get Trent Jr. his glasses because he needs them. Thick ones. Uh, Daria's. That's a gets good line. Snack. It really is. <laughs> uh, it's such a, like, it's a completely pointless detail, but it's so good. Um, Daria gets snapped out of her quote-unquote fantasy, um, but not before it apparently cures her of her crush on Trent. It was so satisfying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There is something intensely depressing <laughs> about Daria's vision of her future with Trent, but also like startlingly accurate. Right, right. But now she's really into science? <laughs> I guess, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Um, it, it 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 it's amazing that she has the foresight that she does in her fantasy. <laughs> yes, I I mean, I really don't think that as a seventeen year old, I would have the same kind of foresight. Um, you know, I could probably not see past the glam of the Trent like crushes to the inevitable dead end. <laughs> <laughs> so, so props to Daria there. Yeah. Also her, her fantasy has a tapestry in the living room of the moon tarot card. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> A uh, great little line from Quinn here, uh, who doesn't really get much to do in this episode, but a really great line was, 
uh, Jane comforting Daria by saying that Daria is twice the woman Monique is, and Quinn saying, no, that would be a size 12. <laughs> I really wouldn't have guessed that Monique was a, a, like a size six. I would have thought her like a two or a zero. She has like no no midsection. <laughs> yeah, she she is rail thin. <laughs> I really like how... Anne Bernstein handles Quinn and Jane in this episode. Like I know I just mentioned that Quinn doesn't get a whole lot to do, but what we do get out of Quinn is pretty good. And it's, it's mostly centered right here. Um, and it's, it's really, it's a great moment for both of those characters where they're still, they're still who they are. Like they are functioning as, you know, the characters that we know. Um, but they're also really helping Daria out and they're giving her like right. legitimate, you know, non-cynical, uh, proper sisterly slash best friend advice. Right. Even though Quinn is being exactly who Daria doesn't like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) with her fantasy of, you know, being queen and waited on hand and foot by a handsome man, um, (laughs) (laughs) then, you know, it still works for Daria. It still helps her out. Um, So it's a, it's a nice fit. These puzzle pieces yeah also quinn's fantasy is is you mentioned it's her as a queen just getting weighted on hand and foot that is exactly what we would expect and it's great (laughs) back at the lane household it is chaos adrian and courtney have arrived and are mucking about on amanda's pottery wheel and summer drops in but not to take her kids away she's planning on staying a few nights amanda's clearly over this whole situation Morning at the Morgendorfer residence has both Quinn and Trent struggling to get themselves moving. Helen berates Trent for his listlessness. Apparently, he meant to be home sooner, but he and Monique spent four hours breaking up, which, according to Jane, actually happens a lot. Helen's trying to lay down the law, but the room is not particularly receptive for a whole host of reasons, and the mess gets interrupted by the doorbell. It's Amanda, but she's not here to pick up Jane and Trent. She tries to keep up the hippie parent persona, but it falls apart quickly. She needs her damn house back. (laughs) Helen, thankfully, has an idea. You know, I didn't think about it until you said hippie parent persona, but this dynamic between Amanda and Helen really does tie in nicely with Helen's character development in That Was Then, This Is Dumb. Yes. You know, we had Helen at odds with her friends who kept up the hippie thing (laughs) and she moved on. (laughs) Right. So this is, this is a continuation of that, right? Yeah, absolutely. This is, you know, Helen looks at Amanda and sees, you know, what ostensibly she would have become. (laughs) Right. Uh, She hadn't, yeah, she had joined the working world and, and, you know, given in to the corporate cynicism and yada, yada, yada. Uh, and I think she's a little bit relieved to see that it doesn't work that way either, <laughs> or, that, or I should say it doesn't work that way either. That's the right inflection to put on that. It works none of the ways. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mentioned here, yeah, and and we talked about it briefly a little bit earlier, but yeah, it's still not entirely clear how Summer has just straight up lost track of her children. Right. They're, you know, they're just free range. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we cut to the Lane residence where the whole insanely large Lane clan is sitting around the dinner table. This is going to be the nightly ritual, Amanda insists, and tries to get a conversation started. Things fall apart immediately. (laughs) 
Uh, soon the entire table is squabbling and Amanda couldn't be happier. A little bit later at the Morgendorfer residence, Jane and Trent are packing up to go back home, their family having sufficiently vacated. Trent's the last one out the door. Daria expresses sympathy for the breakup and Trent notes that Jane's right about the nature of his relationship with Monique. He then goes on to a joke that he then goes on to joke that it's a shame Daria is not a few years older or else he could take her out and off he goes. This is of course all Daria's crush needs to get just a little bit reignited and she curses it as we cut to credits where we're treated to too many people by the pet shop boys. <laughs> Appropriate. <laughs> yeah. On the nose but I love it. Yeah. Well, I mean the these um songs before rolling credits are usually really on the nose. <laughs> um, I, I really like how this episode comes full circle. Like we start out at the dinner table at the Morgendorfers and we end, well, we have the penultimate scene at the Lane residence at the dinner table. And, you know, it didn't work out at the Morgendorfer residence and it's not working out at the Lane residence, but it is working for Amanda. <laughs> 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 right. It's just what she wanted. She wanted to get them out of there. So <laughs> Yeah, that's the the you know, we we spend a lot of time this episode kind of of drawing parallels between or maybe not parallels, but comparisons between Amanda's and Helen's experiences and both of them are pretty distant from their children, but one of them is a okay with that. <laughs> uh and and that kind of gets into so I tried to piece together some sort of cultural context for this episode, but ultimately trying to figure out what the parenting trends of the 90s and how they might have impacted the writing of Lane Miserable, uh, it leads you down a rabbit hole of just unreliable blogs and listicles and, and rampant speculation. And uh, I, I think it's fair to say that this episode kind of holds up you know, relatively well, you know, more than 20 years since it aired because it highlights a parenting dilemma that's kind of always existed. You know, how much is too much? And at what point does attentiveness become over-attentiveness? And at what point does, you know, more relaxed parenting become negligence? The answer is when the cops are called. <laughs> <laughs> Noted parent, Nisaline. <laughs> Just ignore that. <laughs> Uh, I am very attentive. <laughs> she is, folks. I've seen it. I promise. Um, <laughs> what I found most interesting about this episode was the contrasted styles between Amanda and Helen. Like both are, you know, as I mentioned, both are somewhat detached from their children, but they found themselves in those positions through wildly different ways. Like Amanda believes it's best to let kids grow and explore without too much direct supervision, to the point where Trent lived in a tent in the backyard for six months. And so she doesn't really know how to handle the clashing personalities while everybody's under one roof. Meanwhile, Helen's just way too busy and knows knows she could be and she tries to be more involved, but she resorts to just kind of grilling Daria's best friend instead of discussing important things with her daughter directly. Uh, yeah, it seems it's it seems that like each of these women just aren't really able to get to know their children, right? You know, yeah. um, you know, Amanda would have understood that Trent wanted to be invited back in. 
if she knew Trent a little better, you know, she would understand what Daria needs if she knew her daughter a bit better, you know. Right. Anyway. Yeah, like and and you know, we we just mentioned this like Amanda's detachment from her children is more purposeful. Like that's it's the way she decided to go about things and and Helen uh, didn't mean to get so detached from her daughters, but she is. And they both find themselves kind of at odds with that uh, in this episode for for you know different reasons. That said, Amanda does have Trent, Wind, Penny, Summer, and Jane to deal with while Helen just has Quinn and Daria. So I feel like at the very least, Helen's Helen's batting average is a little bit higher. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Yeah, this kind of goes to something a little bit larger that we've seen sort of throughout the show's entire run. And we haven't talked about it necessarily all that much, but like above all else, Daria has shown us that parenting is really fucking hard. Um, You know, we just, we don't see it being done well, like almost at any point in this show with, with brief snippets here and there, you know, and we try to call it out when we do see it, like, wow, this is a really great moment for Helen or wow, you know, Jake actually did something good here. Um, by and large, we see a lot of bad parenting. Like Jake's father did a number on him. Helen's parents created these enormous divisions between their children. Uh, Vincent and Amanda Lane are absentees. Uh, Brittany's father is an enormous creep who barely knows his own daughter, but is seeing uh. a woman roughly her age. Yeah. And who looks exactly like his daughter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Summer straight up lost her kids. Uh, <laughs> Sandy's mother <laughs> Sandy's mother has raised three monsters. Uh, the Landons place way, way too much pressure on their daughter, and it stresses her out immensely. Uh, even the Gupti family from Pinch Sitter, uh, they were trying to do everything right by their children and instead overcorrected for the modern world and got children of the corn out of it. <laughs> it and over and over and over and over again we're just giving these examples of we're giving examples of parenting done wrong more or less never with bad intentions uh like i don't i don't think anybody in this group is is malicious i would say britney's father is probably the worst but even that is not like you know he's not abusive <laughs> um, right he's just a shitty person uh, uh I don't know. I, I don't think anything in this, like I said earlier, I don't think anything in this episode is an indictment on either Helen or Amanda. I just think it's a matter of like, they are two people faced with an extremely difficult task. And that extremely difficult task happens to be something that a lot of people <laughs> have a lot of trouble with. Yes. It's, it's very well put and, and fair. I think, um, I, I think that this, um, uh, I think that Anne Bernstein really does a good job at depicting parenting here. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, you you basically said it all. I can't really <laughs> say much more. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. <laughs> yeah, I, I realized as I was writing these, as I was writing the show notes, I realized like, wow, I'm kind of doing a lot of talking here. And then- after you got sick, it was like, hey, strate- strategic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pro- it was probably for the best. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, w- I will say, though, that um, you know, our focus often has been on the difference between generations, you know, between 
the boomers and generation X and, and the millennials and, and what better way to talk about the difference between generations than the, than to show and to show it in action, you know, within the family. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and also by the, like we, we didn't really mention this at any point during the episode, but man, it's fun spending time with the Lane family. Yeah. Like they are ridiculous <laughs> and funny and bizarre. And it's just so cool to like, you see the rest of that family and then you completely understand where Jane and Trent came from. Yes, absolutely. So since that was in lieu of our cultural context. Uh, yeah, no, no history of speed walking here. <laughs> no, regrettably. though. I don't know. Maybe I'll dig into that on on like on our Twitter or something this week. Are are we keeping a list of things we should have done <laughs> the cultural context on? I don't I think there's enough. Have. <laughs> there's probably not enough internet to keep track of. I will. Mm. So I have seen, I've seen a speed walking competition, like a speed walking race. Seriously? Yeah, and I want to say the thing that makes it speed walking. Like the thing that ensures that it's speed walking and not just people like breaking into a jog and then all of a sudden they're winning um, is you have to have at least one foot on the ground at all times. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So if you think about yeah. that, like that totally works. <laughs> it's really bizarre to watch. Cause that's yeah. how you walk. <laughs> yeah. But you don't think of it that way. No, no. And now I'm going to feel weird. <laughs> When I walk, because I'm going to be thinking about walking. <laughs> this reminds me of that. Um, what was it? it was like, I want to say it was like one of the first movies ever made or anything like, well, quote unquote movies, but it was a bunch of guys trying to settle a bet on. Um, and this was actually somebody, it was somebody involved with the University of Pennsylvania or like, and who ended up being involved with UPenn, but they wanted to settle a bet on if a horse, like if all four hooves on a horse were off the ground when it when it ran. So like if at any point, you know, is, does the horse jog or does it speed walk basically? <laughs> there are different terms for a horse. Was <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it uh trot, canter, trot, gallop? canter, gallop. <laughs> yeah. Good That's job. My, uh, yay. <laughs> but yeah, they, they wanted to find out if, if all four who's on a horse left the ground uh, when it was running. So they did kind of, they did the same setup that they did for you know, the scene in the matrix where Neo like leans backwards and he, and he like wait, like waves his arm trying to avoid bullets and the right. camera like spins around him. So they did that shot with just a shitload of still cameras, like arranged in a circle around Keanu Reeves. And then they took photos with like, they took sequential photos on the cameras, like as he was doing his, his movements uh, and so then when you like put all of those individual images one after the other, you get a, you get like what is essentially a moving picture of uh, Keanu Reeves, like doing his thing and the camera zipping around him. So they actually had a setup like that, uh, except like a hundred plus years earlier to look at this <laughs> stupid horse on a racetrack. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
So they, they lined up all these cameras along the, along the track. And then they took photos as it ran by like, you know, millisecond by millisecond or whatever. Um, and then they got this really, uh, really neat looking quote unquote video of a horse galloping. And they were able to tell through that film that all four who's left the ground. And that's, <gasps> yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> in case you were missing cultural context, well, thank you for that, Rob. Oh my God. I was I was genuinely curious. <laughs> <laughs> I brought it back around. Uh, um uh forgetting the last five minutes ever happened. Um, do we want to rate this episode? I guess we should, since that's a part of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Nissa Lee's enthusiasm for the episode rankings in a nutshell. Yep. <laughs> I guess we should. It's what we do. <laughs> so I kind of have no idea for this one. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. I guess I'm actually looking... I'm looking around... Cafe Disaffecto, Pinch Sitter, Arts and Crass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. So I enjoyed this episode. I thought it was funny. I thought it was different. You know, we got to see a whole bunch of characters we've never seen before, and most of which we'll never actually see again. But we got to look at, at the Lane family life. You know, we got, we got a better understanding of where uh, Trent and Jane came from, as I mentioned. And, you know, as, as we've kind of gone through in this entire, in this entire episode of Morgan Dorks, like this is a very interesting and actually pretty complex look at parenting and how difficult mm-hmm. parenting can be. And, and I don't know, all of that seemed pretty cool to me. Uh, and I think it's, you know, like I said, it, it has, it has these moments, you know, Jake being detached, but still somehow appreciable, you know, little things here or there. Uh, Quinn being fantastic with Daria in the limited time that she gets. I like all of that stuff. I don't, I don't think there's anything inherently bad about this episode. I think the only point it really gets a little questionable to me is Trent's behavior toward Daria. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we talked about, like that's not egregious. It's just kind of, like you said, icky. <laughs> so the thing is, is that that Trent's behavior is in line with the character that has been established in past episodes. It's not like this shitty behavior is out of nowhere. We've seen it before. Yeah. So, I I mean, I think that like everything that we've seen in this episode with the characters and how they interact, you know, how they develop throughout the episode, it's, it's, it's on brand, <laughs> you know, I, I, in, it's a solidly constructed episode. Yeah. And it, it really satisfies something that I feel like you've been wanting, which is more lanes. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know how you can't want more lanes. So now I'm looking at, I'm trying to figure out if this is better or worse than Cafe Disaffecto. Oh boy. I want to say, I want to say it's better. Because to me, this this feels kind of on par with it happened one nut. Right. Okay. Yeah. It has um, 
that very teenage experience, (laughs) 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 you know, but also, um, but the whole parenting thing, I think brings it to a different level. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm down with that. All right. All right. All right. (laughs) Does that mean we're putting it, we're putting it between eight and nine? Yeah. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. This is like whatever takes me out of this process. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds fantastic. (laughs) I mean, it happened when that is just very fun, you know? (laughs) It's a, yeah, it's a, it is an extremely fun episode. I think if I were, I definitely think there's an argument to be made for this episode going above it happened one nut uh just for sheer like complexity like in terms of what this episode is trying to do i think it's trying to do way more than what it happened one nut did but i'm also thinking in terms of like what episode would i want to watch again and i feel i still feel as though i would want to watch yeah i feel as though i would want to watch it happened one nut just a little bit more than this one yeah Uh, but i think they're both you know once you get to like too cute and upward you know you're getting towards episodes that are just fantastic regardless and 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 are worth watching pretty much anytime yeah so yeah that leaves us with lane miserable which has now been pronounced like six different times in this episode <laughs> in six different ways <laughs> yeah i'll just say lane miserables let's get that out of the way um here at the near end of our episode. Uh, all right. That leaves us with Lane Miserable at number nine, uh, right behind It Happened One Nut and right ahead of Cafe Disaffecto. Woot woot. I feel good about that. Yeah. <laughs> so the last time we came together for some episode rankings... Ha ha ha. It was for uh, a little episode called Daria, which just happened to be a musical. Mark. Yes, yeah. yes. So Daria, uh, um, which happened to be the <laughs> musical. Which I happen to hate. <laughs> yes. Hate is maybe underselling it. <laughs> I got a lot of flack for that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I will say people were extremely measured. <laughs> no, nobody, nobody lost their shit at us. It was a lot of very good natured, uh, good natured responses. I really appreciated that. But yeah, it kind of it kind of came at us from every direction. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and I suppose like. <clears throat> So I'm thinking that the good people of the internet, our audiences, actually sent their disbelief as as some bad mojo my way and made me sick. <laughs> so this is what I get. So <laughs> I will say, yes, maybe it was. unintentionally. <laughs> It was Nissa Lee who put a knife into that episode's kidneys. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I did just kind of sit there and go, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, you weren't really defending it at all. <laughs> not particularly. Not particularly and, and at all. I must say that like, 
I don't know if I was just in like a foul mood and just like went into it, like hating it or, but, but the thing is, is that I don't want to watch it again. <laughs> like, I don't want to give it a second chance. <laughs> and so you buried it at sea. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I mentioned, I mentioned the fact that I didn't protest a whole lot just to say all that it takes in the world for, for evil to- to happen is for good people to not do anything. Are you calling me evil now? <laughs> wow. I, I didn't say that. You said that. You just... A girl's got opinions and she's evil now. Oh. Rob. Well, I hope you've all enjoyed the last episode of Morgan Dorks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, all of this was sort of a, an introduction to the fact that, uh, as predicted, our ranking for Daria generated a whole lot of response. Um, yep. There's a fair amount, <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot of disagreement, fair amount of disbelief. There were a lot of arguments tossed around, some more thorough than others. Uh, first of all, uh, as much as we've joked about it, I do want to thank everybody who wrote to us on Twitter or Facebook to let us know what you thought. You know, I've said it over and over again. I consider this to be a conversation. Uh, with everybody and and it was awesome to get that much of a response and to see people like say like no no i think you guys are wrong but also like here's why (laughs) Mm. Uh, i thought that was pretty cool it's a nice change of pace from you know a lot of the discourse on the internet in general (laughs) but i thought one of the one of the longer and more interesting takes on the episode came from a twitter user who we've actually We've actually read some stuff from earlier in, in Morgan Dork's run, but uh, Twitter user Library Blue had a whole breakdown of the episode. Okay, Morgan Dorks, you knew this was coming. Here's a defense of Daria that addresses Nissa's critique that the show didn't reveal anything about the characters. Uh, I will note here that I believe, um, what was it? Yeah, so at some point, I think Library Blue referred to Nissa as Nissa Lee, like all one word. Aw. <laughs> which, yeah, which cracked me up because it, it almost certainly comes from the fact that I refer to you as almost exclusively Nissa Lee because it's just a thing that I I, I picked it up as a habit from like Rob Lowe's character on Parks and Rec. He refers right. to but Yeah. You're not the only one who does that. Like basically everyone in college called me by my first and last name and and you know Yeah. 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 It's, it's a, just it's, a thing. It just works. Uh, okay, at Morgan Dorks, you knew this was coming. Here's a defense of Daria that addresses Mrs. Critique that the show doesn't reveal anything about the characters. I learned about the Lanes, Quinn, and Helen, and Daria. Uh, the Lanes, they both show a vulnerability in this episode. When Trent comes over, he seems like a kid who needs a family. We know the Lanes aren't hands-on parents, but we don't see how that might have affected them just yet. Jane thinks that Trent is probably sleeping and that her parents might realize that maybe they forgot, quote, 18 or two. (laughs) When she sees Trent, she says something like, you are worried. Uh, They have a close bond because they are the only reliable family they have. It's sweet and sad. Uh, Now for Helen and Quinn. In their duet, they both note that they keep their obsessions to themselves because they might be considered, quote, ticking bombs. I think this is reflective of the Morgendorfer family dynamic. Daria and Jake are the, quote, problem children of the family. Everyone's emotional energy goes toward Jake and Daria. Jake's meltdowns and Daria's antisocialism command attention, while Quinn's feelings are written off as superficial and Helen's issues are considered her fault for trying to have it all. 
So they, to paraphrase the song, quote, keep it to themselves instead. They know that no one else cares if they work less or dress worse, so they don't even try to explain or investigate their need to be perfect. Their perfectionism is as concerning as Jake's temper or Daria's attitude, but because Jake and Daria have sucked up the emotional energy, their needs are left unmet. And now to Daria. She starts the episode in her usual frame of mind, glad she didn't wake up dead. Uh, But by the end, she has, quote, the hope that tomorrow will come and another weird morning in the burbs. This is a considerable shift. She no longer wants the town to blow away. I'm not saying she loves Lawndale, but she doesn't actively hate it. She learned that she can look forward to another day in the burbs as long as it's a weird one. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So... I didn't find anything in there that I disagreed with. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. I guess I, and, and I completely see library blues point. I, I think what it comes down to at least for Daria's change is, I don't know. It, it still felt like, it fell flat for me. Like, I, like it wasn't enough of a change, maybe. I, it, it's hard to map the musical arc onto someone <laughs> like Daria, I think is the problem. <laughs> That's a really you know what good I mean? point. Yeah. Like on the surface, I think, in, you know, if you're, if you're just reading the lyrics, I can kind of, I can, see exactly where library blue is coming from. And like I said, I don't really disagree that I don't really disagree with their point that, you know, maybe that's what was, was that's what the writers were going for perhaps with, but also just none of the rest of the episode really builds toward anything like that. It's just kind of, Hey, I lived. So I guess that's cool. Great. But I really do appreciate, I I appreciate the thought that has gone into this because I do wonder how much bias has clouded my judgment. (laughs) (laughs) But as we have, as we have pointed out before, this episode ranking is clearly not scientific and (laughs) and totally loaded with bias. (laughs) I love going into the episode rankings now because they're, I mean, they're long enough now to where like I go in and I find a little, a little surprise waiting for me every single time. Like what? Why is this here? Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what the fuck were we thinking? <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, so yeah, thank you so much library blue for, for writing in, not just, yeah, not just for having a response, but for, but for having such a, a thoughtful response and, yes. and thorough response it was deeply appreciated it it did not save uh daria from the bottom of the rankings but, nope it stays uh, there they, those <laughs> rankings are permanent <laughs> they will uh, live on in history as our mistakes <laughs> all right so i think that might wrap it up uh-huh yeah all right Okay, so that does, in fact, wrap it up for this episode of Morgan Dorks. Uh, check out our Patreon. 
You can sign up over at patreon.com slash morgandorks. For a buck a month, you can support this stupid little thing we do and listen to an unedited version of each podcast a few days before it airs. As always, please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at morgandorks, email us at morgandorks at gmail.com, or check out our website, morgandorks.podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook. Just search for us and we'll show up. Uh, special thanks to Outpost Daria Reborn. Link is in the show notes. Uh, and as always, thank you, Nissa. Thank you, Rob. <laughs> and thank you, listeners. We will see you again in two weeks. I swear to God, two weeks for season three, episode nine, Jake of Hearts, too soon, here on Morgan Dorks. <laughs> <laughs>